Our scripture readings this morning begin in Numbers, begins with Numbers 6, verses 22 through 27. All these scriptures are linked together. They're joined, says we read this. See if you can, just by reading them, see if you understand what links these scriptures together. They are the word of God, but there's a common subject. See if you can see. Let's see if you can see that subject. First, number six, 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And then... Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke 24, beginning to read with verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Then our epistle reading is from the letter of Jude. We don't read from Jude too often. So, and we're reading this responsively this morning. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, causing you to stand faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only God, 
our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to be praying for Josephine Cressman. We're also going to be praying for Ruffner Murray, George Bryan, um, and for others. We're going to be praying for the denomination which uh, John and I are both uh, ordained in, in the PCA. We're going to be praying for our nation. So let's go before the Lord our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, when we consider what we have just heard sung, and we know that you are the good shepherd, we know that you are the one, Lord Jesus, who declared that you are the good shepherd, the one who leads and guides and knows the sheep by name. We're also reminded of the significance of that when we step from here into that into that valley of death that we, that we walk through it and we know that it is a shadow. But we also know that there are those who are left here, those who remain and grieve. We pray, Father, that you would be with the family of George Bryan and the family of Mike Cressman. We pray that you would draw near to them in their grief, that they would know your presence with them the voice of the one who declared that he is near to the brokenhearted. So we pray that they would know that comfort and that joy, the joy of the promise of the resurrection. Father, we also pray for those who are facing that valley, the valley of the shadow of death. We pray for Ruffner Murray. We pray that you would be with him and that you would give him a glimpse by your Holy Spirit of the beauty of that which he will behold and that through whose eyes he will be beheld. We pray that you would show him that wonderful welcome of the child of God and that he would know your peace. Lord, we do know that there are troubles in this world. We know there are troubles in our nation. We know there are troubles in this past week and indeed in these past years. We know that there's so much that invades our lives that we are concerned about that cause us to be unsettled. Would you be the God who settles the hearts and minds of your people would you cause those who are in positions of authority to be wise by your leading, even if they do not know you? We pray that you would silence the mouths of fools and that you would cause those who place laws that govern your church and your people, that those who do so would do so under your direction. We also pray for those within your body Particularly, Father, we pray for the Presbyterian Church in America, asking, O oh Lord our God, this denomination that has had so much of an effect in so many of our lives, that we would stand firm upon your word, 
that we would not be foolish, that we would not be short-sighted, that we would not be following after the desires of our own hearts, but rather we would have our hearts caved into your desire. Direct us, O Lord, and may you receive all glory and honor. We ask that you now would enable your people to see in your word the message that you would have them to know about how you view us as your people and how you hold us. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The majority of you, I'm sure, remember back in uh, 2015, as many men were 21 Coptic Christians were led onto a beach in Libya in orange jumpsuits. They were forced to kneel before their captors, and they were summarily beheaded. Coptic Christians, people who professed faith in Jesus Christ, those who were up against the evil of the satanic attack upon the church of Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes when those individuals kneeled in front of their captors and the knives were drawn out against their throats, I wondered if those men perhaps remembered what we know as the benediction from Aaron. You know those words, obviously. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Or perhaps even Psalm 121, what we just read, that He will keep you. He will not let your foot slip, that He keeps you. I wonder if they thought to themselves, perhaps, not knowing their thoughts, was it true? Was it true? Does he really keep me? Does he really hold me? Is his face really turned toward me? This passage in Numbers chapter 6, what we know of as Aaron's benediction, some of you will see that um, little caption in your Bibles that says Aaron's benediction on there. Wish that weren't there. It's not true. It's not Aaron's benediction, it is God's benediction. It is a word that the Lord commanded that His priests pronounce upon His people. The word that He commanded them to say when His people were gathered, the things that He wanted them to know about His direction of His view of them. He said it. He's the one who commanded it. Let me read this for you again, starting in verse 22. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. 
So this is more than just a blessing. It is a blessing, but it's so much more than that. It is a declaration. It is a command. This is what your heavenly father and my heavenly father wanted us to know about how he views us, how he sees us, how he holds us, his power over us. This is what he said. He said this to his people as they were preparing to go into the promised land and conquer it. We know they didn't, but hang on. As they were preparing to go into the promised land to conquer it, he said, I want them to know this. Because it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be all uh, peaches and cream or rainbows and butterflies. It is going to be a battle. We're all in a battle. You don't have to look very far to see the battle, do you? I remember viewing just this past week, the week before last, watching as the security video in Germantown showed a woman being wrestled and almost taken by two men. You in a battle? You feeling safe? You feeling all secure? One of the things that Rick Powell reminded me of when we came to Memphis, he said, um, you know, you're not in Mayberry anymore. And he's true. But even when we were in Prattville, we weren't in Mayberry. It was still dangerous. We were still in a battle. And we are all in a battle. Not just with the um, robberies and the carjackings and those things. We're in a battle of a spiritual nature. Some of you know that battle. Some of you know the battle of of having a covenant child who appears to be a covenant breaker and your heart breaks for them and you pray for them and you long for them to come back. Some know the battle of having buried a child. Some of you know the battle of burying a spouse. Some of you know the battle of a declining in cognitive awareness. It's a battle. So what does the Lord say to us in those battles? He says those words. He says those very words. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Several words in there that we're going to look at. First one is keep. What does that mean when the Lord says the Lord bless you and keep you? You, you know, some of, the, some of you who are into history and architecture and things, you know the castles of, of the medieval times, and the safest place in that castle was the keep. The keep that was in the center portion of the castle walls is the safest place where you could be. It's where, they, where you put all the valuables, it's where you put all the gunpowder, all the ammunition, everything that you thought was at risk of being harmed, you put that in the keep because it was precious to you. It was needed. It was wanted. And you didn't want an enemy getting to it. It's interesting that the Lord uses the word keep. Keep. He keeps you. He keeps you firmly in his grasp. If you look at um, Psalm, look over at Psalm 121. 
If you notice on your scripture sheets, I have, I have used different versions of the Bible for these different passages. It's not because I was trying to go through and select which one I thought best fit my sermon. It was because I saw those in the, in the various versions that we have. And I've left my scripture sheet over there. No, there it is. In the various versions that we have, those were the most accurate, from my view, in the Hebrew that I could find. Look at Psalm 121. So, where does my, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where, whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. And then skip down to verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. If you've got the NIV in that, and this is not a slam on the NIV, it's just this particular verse, I think this is more accurate, it uses the term watches over. The Lord watches over. There's more of a distance, a removal of God standing sort of far off, and He's going, oh yes, I see Him. I see, see what's going on, and I'm going to work that out, and we'll fix that. No, He's with us. It's what Jesus said when He was with His disciples, saying, you know, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gives to them the assurance of the coming of the Holy Spirit to them who will enable them and empower them, His presence with them. He's with you. He keeps you. You can't keep something that you don't have in your grasp. He keeps you. That's important. It's important to know when difficulties come. Difficulties that come through the battles that we face, difficulties that come through death itself, sickness, sorrow, fear, want. It's important to remember that He sets His affections on you and He keeps you. Now, the other word I want you to look at is His countenance. You ever used that word? We don't use it very much these days. You can talk about the countenance of someone, but you don't really use it that much, probably. But we say things like, I would not even countenance that. What does that mean? You're using it as a verb. You're saying, I won't even cast a glimpse in that direction. I won't even look at it. The best way I can think of to, to describe this countenance years ago before my mother died, my mother had both legs amputated below the knee, and she would come and she frequently, usually, in a great deal of pain, and she and my father would come to Memphis and visit us, and we would find a comfortable spot for her in the den, and she would sit in a chair in the den, and our children, who were all small at that time, would be running in loops around the house, you know, just making the circle, going around. And I would watch her because we were saying, shh, be quiet. You know, Granny's in here. You need to calm down. But when they would make the loop back around into the den where she was, even though her face was filled with pain, even though that she had that drawn look, her countenance would change 
when she saw her grandchildren. Her countenance would change. She would lift. I mean, literally, you could almost see it in her face. Her face would lift up when she saw them. Why? Why? Because they are precious to her. Because she knows that they are hers. They are her grandchildren. You know this. You see it. You see it when you are watching people from a distance in a crowd and you make that eye contact, that recognition with someone that you know across the crowd and they go like that. Because their countenance changes because they know you. Right? That's exactly what our Lord wants you to know. That His eyes are on you. That he's not only is he a distant God who sees all things and knows all things, but he is with you, keeping you, and that he, when he sees you, his countenance changes. He lifts it up. You're his. There was a film clip, not a film clip, a news clip, a video years ago. And back in 2007, in 2007, then-President Bush and Mrs. Bush went with an entourage down to Chile, or Chile, depending on your education level. They, they went down to, for a conference, an economic conference, and they, they met with the president of, of Chile. And they were going off after meeting with them to a, a state dinner. And as they walked through the doors of this building in which they were going to have this state dinner, the Chilean guard closed up behind them. They closed up the gap. They, they cut everybody else off. The only problem was the Secret Service was on the other side. You may, you may remember this. It's one of the most thrilling videos and I think you can watch in my view. But right when they were shuffling, the head of the Secret Service was standing there of, of that detail. And he was pushing and, and they were yelling at each other. And he was saying, I am going in there. I'm going in there. And they were, saying, they were blocking him out. And there was swearing. And there was everything that was taking place in, the, in that entourage. And then suddenly, the president... Notice hearing the ruckus back behind him, turned around, walked back over to, the, to this line of Chilean guards, reached through, grabbed hold of his chief um, detail officer, and said, he is with me, and pulled him in, and went back to greeting and shaking hands and doing all of that. I love that. Why is that such a big deal? So imagine it was me. Imagine I'm in that same little entourage and the President Bush is right there and I'm standing there and I say, oh, that's not right. He's, he's with the President. Everybody, you know what everybody would do? They'd go, who are you? You have no authority. President Bush had the authority. He had the power. He, they knew who he was. They knew what the United States was capable of and they moved interestingly 
when the Lord talks about His love and His keeping and His, and His countenance and His view of His people, that He's going to bless them. He makes this comment in Psalm 121 where He says, the maker of heaven and earth. You go to Isaiah 40. Many of, you, many of you know that. You'll have it there. You refer to it. Isaiah 40, the, the nations are, are, are Israel, and they're looking back at God, and they're saying, you don't know about us. You don't know what's going on in our lives. You don't know what's happening in our world. You don't know. And he says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who, brought out, who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And then he goes on, go down, skip down to verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Why is that so important? Did they, not, did they think this was some other God? Maybe, maybe this was Baal that was talking to them. No, he's reminding them that what he promises, he has the power and the authority to execute it. He's God. He, he is the one who, who constantly refers back as he talks to his people and the children of Israel, saying to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I delivered you. Not because he was afraid they were confused. He was reminding them of his power, of what he could do, of what he was capable of doing. That's very important for us to remember. In these days, that's extremely important for us to remember. That as we go to the graveside and we place a loved one there, that we know that He is the one who has promised that He will bring about the resurrection of the dead. He is the one who has promised that He will never leave us, that He'll never forsake us. He is the one. He is God. And there is no other. It's more than a blessing. It's his command. And what he commands is. Christian. What has he commanded concerning us? What has he commanded concerning our care? Well, you can look at Job. Look at the life of Job. What, is, what does God come and say to Job after all that he's been through? He says, come here. Come here, listen to me. Where were you when I did this? When I set the foundations of this world, where were you? You call out the Leviathan, put a ring in his nose, lead him about like a toy animal. You can't do it. I am God, and there is no other. Many of you know the battles very well about what we face. What we face in the church today. What we face as words are redefined, not in accord with God's Word. 
what we face in battles um, concerning the gender identity issues, what we face in battles concerning God's view of His justice versus man-made justice. You know those. Does it not bring you great comfort to know that He not only knows it, but that He is the only one who is powerful to effect any change about it? Oh, we, we must remember that. When you watch men prepare to go into battle, maybe you watch it in a movie, maybe you read it in a book, maybe you, and you hear all about these Marines going to raid another country. What is it that they know? What do they know? They know something that each one of us can repeat all the time. No man left behind, right? What does that do for your confidence in going into a battle? What does it do to know that all the power is behind you of your entire command force is behind you? They are with you. We have something much more powerful than the President of the United States, much more powerful than the Marine Corps, much more powerful than any other armed force on this planet. We have the living God who has declared to you, parents, grandparents, that He has you. He's got it. He has the authority to accomplish it. He has given His command that that every aspect of creation will be aimed at your care. That nothing will touch you unless it passes through His hands. Because he's the one that keeps you. When Jesus was preparing to depart, and as he walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, in the passage that we just read with John, if you want to look at that, Luke 24, verse 50. It says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. What does that mean? What's with this? What is with that? What does that mean when he says, I bless you. I bless you. I'm going. I bless you. His disciples worshipped him for it. Go back to Numbers chapter 6. Listen to the very end. Verse 27, he says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. What's in a name? (laughs) Is God jealous for his name? Do you know you bear his name? He's with you. He has you. He has told you that you bear his name, that he put it on you. That's why he is very jealous for his name. Remember when the Apostle Paul was was persecuting, was headed to persecute the church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus, the risen Lord, appeared to him there. 
and blinded him. And he said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? No, he didn't say that. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Me. He so identified with his people that he saw their persecution as persecution directly upon him. Christian, that really ought to make you happy. That he identifies with you in that degree that he, would, that he would declare that what happens to you, whatever goes on towards you, it is an attack, it is an affront, it is an assault on him. That ought to make you really happy. Because there's nothing that can touch you outside of his hands. If he, if he allows it, yes, indeed, he does. Those, those 21 men kneeling on that beach in those orange jumpsuits knew very well what was about to happen. And the Lord Jesus Christ never left them. And he kept their soul. Look back at Psalm 121 again. The reason I used, another reason I used that particular version He says, he will keep your soul. Other translations you may have, he will keep your life. That's true. But that's the word. He will keep you. Psalm 23, he will be with you. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. As you go through the valley of the shadow of death, it can't hurt you. You know that, right? You do know that. That shadows don't hurt you. When, when my brother and I were little, and we would walk at night um, through the neighborhood, and there would be street lights going over us as we were going down the sidewalk, we'd play this game where he would, do, he would jump over and stomp on my sh- head of my shadow. He'd go, I'm jumping up and down on you. It didn't hurt. Why? Because shadows cannot hurt you. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. I love the fact that the Lord chose to say it is a valley of the shadow of death. And not only that, but that we will go through it. That we're not staying in it. As those 21 men kneeled on the beach... In Libya, they went through the valley. In Jesus Christ, they walked through the valley, but they didn't walk through it alone. He was with them. Can you trust Him? It's easy to trust Him when things are going great, aren't it? Isn't it? <laughs> yes, Lord. My children are all home in bed and doing great, and. Uh, you know, the bank account's at this right level. The bills are paid and the paid stack. The heat's on. It's easy. When do you trust him when you get the diagnosis that you don't want to hear? That's when you have to trust. Right? Back in 
Prattville several years ago. I had gone to a doctor and gotten a biopsy and waited one very long, lengthy 10 days for the results of that biopsy. I was sitting in a, in a study at the church with three elders and had my cell phone with me, and sure enough, the phone call came. This was on a Friday afternoon, late on a Friday. And I answered the phone, excused myself, went out in the other room and answered the phone, and it was my doctor, and he said, Bryant, he said, um, it is cancer. <laughs> he said, but I want you to listen to me. You have two large lesions. Do you think I heard a single word after that? I didn't hear anything. He kept me. He knows. He knows each cellular structure in your body. He numbers your days. And he will keep you. Let's pray. Our Father, as those people of yours gathered and as you instructed Moses to instruct Aaron to place that word of blessing upon them. You alone know what it was like for them to hear that because they knew what they were. And we ourselves know what we are. We know that in Jesus Christ, we have that wonderful righteousness. But we also know that we still struggle against the flesh and against sin, against the devil. We know that we struggle against all these enemies, but we also take great comfort in knowing that you, our King, have declared that you are the one who conquers all your enemies and ours identifying with us in such a way. So would you bless us with that knowledge as we leave this place? May we leave here under the blessing of the knowledge that you would have us to remember that your countenance is lifted high upon us and that you bring us peace. We ask that you would do this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our hymn of response, a mighty fortress is our God. Would you please stand and sing hymn number 92.
Look up and receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.